Hello there, and welcome to City Breaks. City Breaks in the middle of its 12-week COVID plan. And I'm just going to take a minute or two to explain how currently things are operating a little differently here, before getting on with the business proper, our virtual visit to Munich. OK, so the 12-week plan to get through the fact that we can't really go anywhere, but it's still nice to have podcasts to listen to while we're all stuck at home. So, as you'll know if you heard last week or the week before, I'm alternating virtual visits to the cities that I've already covered. So last time we had Florence, this time it's a virtual visit to Munich, alternating that with something called City Breaks Ideas, which I just want to mention briefly before starting properly, because your input is very much welcomed. I've planned some episodes where we just give out ideas for City Breaks. Next time you're sitting there thinking, I'll be going somewhere soon, where shall I choose, how do I decide, this will be something to listen to, with some of my ideas and some, hopefully, of your ideas about what makes a good city break destination and why. So it would be really good if you could send your ideas in, let us know where you would choose. It might be somewhere you've been already that you'd like to go back to or you can very much recommend as a great idea for others. Or it might be somewhere that you're still yearning to visit. So we'd like to know where it is and ideally a reason or two. What did you do there that you can imagine others liking? Or why is it that you particularly want to go there? What is it you want to see, stroke, eat, stroke, climb, listen to, visit? There are several ways to get in touch. I'll just run through those quickly and then we can get on with the main business. Okay, so one way would be to go onto our website and leave a comment on the blog. So that would be www.citybreakspodcast.co.uk Over on the top right of the homepage, you'll find the blog. And at the moment, the top entry there is indeed City Break Ideas. So if you click on that, you can read other people's comments and get the chance to leave your own. Alternatively, you can email us. So that would be citybreaks at citybreakspodcast.co.uk. And that would be a good way to choose if you're able to send us a photo, which would in fact be most welcome, because those could go onto the website and inspire other people. Finally, if you'd rather contact us through Twitter, then we're at at CityBreaksCast. The last four letters, cast, C-A-S-T, being short for podcast. So, hope very much to hear from people, to be inspired by your ideas, to add one or two of my own, and to make up for next week then, a good episode, City Break Ideas, the second episode. Last time we covered Barcelona and Rome, There were some pointers to the idea of hiring a bike cheaply in Toulouse or eating the best fish and chips in Dublin or being inspired to visit Prague because of a lovely series of photographs of lovely Prague looking its absolute most medievally beautiful. So, where else is there? What do you think? Do let us know. Okay, enough. Let's get on with the actual episode which is planned for today, Munich, a virtual visit. Welcome to a virtual visit to Munich. In these strange lockdown, not much travelling times, you can't go to Munich for real. But if you know where to look, website-wise, YouTube-wise, perhaps what to read, have an idea or two for a film to watch, you can very much do a virtual visit to Munich, perhaps in advance of actually going. 
perhaps in advance of deciding whether it is Munich you want to visit or somewhere else, or perhaps more in terms of doing some reminiscing of a city that you've already visited and would very much like to see bits and pieces of again. So I've come up with a range of resources that you can access, all of which contribute to a virtual visit to Munich. And the place to start, I think, is with a general town tour, and there are lots of those on YouTube. I picked out a couple, which I quite liked. One is called Munich in Three Minutes, brackets City Centre. So if you go onto YouTube and type that in, you should find it. It's only three or four minutes long, lots of shots of the city, some of them a bit wobbly. I think whoever took it was on a coach, but you do get round and see all the sights. There's no commentary, it's just all set to music. It has a brief introduction, it works quite well. And then I think it would be good to go on to a second YouTube video called Munich colon top 10 attractions, six and a half minutes long. This one has a presenter who shows you around and it's slightly differently organised because it's a countdown. It's the top 10 attractions as per the title and they start with number 10 and show you each place going right up to the very top attraction in this presenter's mind at least. So what that means is you do get pictures of quite a lot of Munich. You get a bit of a narrowing down if you're not there for weeks and weeks, which things would you most like to see? And you get a few ideas from the presenter as to why he chose those things. And actually, he's pretty good on how to get there. He tells you the bus number that you need if it's not actually in the city centre to get out there. So he starts with the Allianz Arena, which if you're sporty at all, you've probably heard of. It's that big football stadium shared by Bayern Munich and Munich's other big team, TSV, TSV in English, 1860. 1860. I think that's the year they were founded. Anyway, the two major clubs who play one in red and one in blue. And the thing about the Allianz Arena, or one of the things about it, is that the roof changes colour according to who's playing there. It's also one of the venues where the national team play. And on those occasions, it lights up in white. The tour takes you past various other things. The English Garden, the Nymphenberg Palace, which is the Royal Summer Palace built by one of the Wittelsbach family, and the, this goes on, works its way up to the top three, which are the square in which the Hofbräuhaus is, perhaps Munich's best-known pub, the one in which Hitler made some of his speeches and rallied his supporters in the early days of his climb to power. Place number two goes to the Viktualienmarkt, which is the food market where you can buy food and drink from all over the world, and the top spot goes to the main town square, the Marienplatz, which you will certainly crisscross if you go. Pausing perhaps to visit one of the town halls that's there. Yes, there are two. Or to watch the Glockenspiel performance with the little moving puppets. Or perhaps to visit the Toy Museum. So once you've watched those, you've got a good idea of some of the main sites to have a look at. If you want to narrow down in detail a little bit, perhaps start with the number one spot in terms of visitor numbers, which is the Residence, the palace of the former kings of Bavaria. They have their own website which I'm sure you'll come across if you just Google, let's say, Residence, R-E-S-I-D-E-N-Z, Residence Munich. It's mainly in German, but you can switch to English if you find the flag at the top. And it does give you a flavour of what there is to visit. It takes you through some of the main parts of the palace, little texts of information, and a changing array of pictures. They follow on one from another and give you quite a good idea of some of the things that you would see if you went to visit. If you listen to the Munich series, you might remember that back in episode two, we went to the residence, 
talked particularly about the long, I think it's 66 metres long, hall known as the Antiquarium, which one of the dukes had built to house his collection of ancient sculptures. There are eight different pictures of that on the website. And the other most interesting bit visually, I think, is the visit to the little theatre that's next door to the residence, the Cuvillier Theatre, named after the architect who built it. An absolute little jewel of a place, and also quite an interesting history. It was, for example, a place where one or two Mozart performances were premiered, and it was also the theatre in which Ludwig II, he who built the very romantic castles like Neuschwanstein, first found his love of Wagner. He was taken to the opera there as a young teenager and just fell into a swoon about how beautiful it was. So you can remember that as you gaze at the pictures. Unfortunately, the theatre was destroyed during the war in 1944, but it's been rebuilt, lovingly restored, and quite a lot of what is inside it is actually from the original 18th century building. Described on the website as the white, red and gold theatre room from the 18th century with its exuberant figurative and ornamental decor in the Rococo style. If you're architecturally minded, that is the important thing about this theatre really. Yes, it's a beautiful little room with a fascinating history, but it's also regarded as a really good example of Bavarian Rococo. And actually, if on your virtual tour of Munich, while you're in the theatre, you get the urge to perhaps go to the opera as well, the opera being pretty much next door to the residence, so on an actual visit, it's quite possible that you might do both on the same day, you can go to the Bavarian State Opera website, where you can pause for a few minutes to enjoy something called their V Aria. So Aria as in opera song, so capital V hyphen Aria, which has a three-minute film clip from a stage performance actually at the Opera House. The pictures, I'm afraid, are less than good, quite grainy really, but the sound was great. So if you want a little moment pretending you're at the Bavarian State Opera House in Munich, that's how to achieve it. And actually I noticed, but didn't investigate further, at the bottom of that video on the screen, there was a very promising looking sign marked, More Videos. So I guess you could probably get a little insight into lots of different operas. Thinking perhaps again that this is also a building very much connected with Wagner, where some of his major operas premiered, Lohnenfrien for example. That's the one about the Swan King that Ludwig II was so taken with. Tannhäuser, Die Meistersänger von Nuremberg. All of those played out here. And Wagner ruled the roost as very important composer until the time when he created a scandal by having an affair with the conductor's wife and having to hightail it off to Bayreuth, where he spent the rest of his career. But it was in Munich, on this site, where he first made his name and where one of the other scandals of the day was his very close relationship with Ludwig II, who bankrolled him, subsidised him with enormous sums of money, lavish presents, lots of praise. Munich society was particularly outraged one evening when Ludwig and Wagner attended an opera together, and at the end, Ludwig encouraged Wagner to take bows from the players and the theatre-goers, and this was deemed to be very unseemly. Only the king should receive such adulation. But the king pushed his friend Wagner forward to receive it instead, and people talked about this for months. OK, so, so much for the arts. One of the other aspects of Munich that you'll probably want to investigate is its connection with the rise of Hitler, who arrived in Munich as a pretty penniless artist and ex-soldier, and left having built his movement up until he was of national significance 
He left for Berlin and I guess you know the rest. Munich at the time went under the name of Hauptstadt der Bewegung, so the capital city of the movement, the movement of course being National Socialism. And in Munich today, they're very keen that you should know about this, even though it was really the city's darkest hour. And there is a range of possibilities of things that you can do virtually in order to find out more. So again on YouTube, I found several useful little videos. One of the very short and rather general ones, which I thought was interesting, was one called Hitler and the Third Reich Munich Walking Tour. Only two minutes long, filmed by somebody who actually went on a walking tour, which I believe lasted three hours. They wandered round the whole of Munich and went to all the places that were connected with the rise of Hitler and World War II. And the film shows you little glimpses of, for example, the room inside the Hofbräuhaus where Hitler made his speeches. It shows you the eternal flame at Königsplatz, which now burns in memory of all of those who were damaged by National Socialism. It shows you the Trockerberggasse, the road that Munich residents who didn't like Hitler used to dodge up to avoid the main road where they would have been expected to salute the soldiers. I noticed the tour guide actually called it Dodger's Alley. If you want a little bit more detail, I found a 10-minute video called The Beer Hall Putsch. The pictures are cartoon style, which is slightly odd, but it is very good. It gives quite detailed reasons for how it was that Hitler managed to rise in popularity while he was living in Munich. It tells you about the beer hall evening, which ended up in an attempted coup. shows you the streets where it happened. talks about the resulting trial and how Hitler was imprisoned took the opportunity while there to write Mein Kampf, so it's quite informative. And if you want to go for a super duper level of detail, then still on YouTube, I could recommend something called Munich Now and Then, a series 12 episodes long, which really takes you from the beginning of National Socialism and the rise of Hitler in Munich, right through to the end. So you learn about the Hitler Putsch, you spend, for example, a couple of episodes at Königsplatz, which is where the Nazi headquarters were. The last episode is called Liberation, reminding us that for the people of Munich, the Allied victory wasn't a defeat, it was liberation from the Nazi regime under which they'd been living. Each episode's four or five minutes long, it starts with a few screens of text, and then it shows you footage of the relevant places to that episode, as they are today, and old photographs of as they were in the 1930s, and they quite cleverly fade one in and the other one out, so you really get the sense that that Königsplatz that you visit today was the scene for some of those very momentous events. And finally, on the subject of the war, in Munich particularly, there's a story that not everybody knows that really is important, that should be worldwide known, and that's the story of the Munich students, Sophie Scholl and her brother Hans Scholl, and their resistance group, the White Rose, Die Weisse Rosa. They were convicted in 1942 of distributing anti-Nazi leaflets in the university, arrested, tried and executed, all within a few days. But they did leave behind the text of the leaflets which they had written, in which they outlined their ideas about the need for individuals to stand up and be counted and work against evil, whatever it cost. One of the best websites I found to introduce you to Sophie Scholl and her story, in fact, isn't German, it's American. It's www.nationalww2museum.org. The two in the middle of that is just a figure. It's the National World War II Museum in New Orleans, 
and they've got a piece about this story. It's got text, it's got pictures, quite reasonable amount of depth, but would certainly be a good preparation if you're intending, if you go to Munich, to visit the Sophie Scholl Memorial Museum, which is in the university. It's quite small. Much of the material, of course, is in German. I think there is an audio guide in English, but the better informed you are before you arrive, the more you'll get out of it. So that website I would definitely recommend, and particularly to really understand the story and know the bravery of the Munich students. There's an excellent film called Sophie Scholl, The Final Days. You can actually get the whole thing on YouTube. And if you watch it, not only will you get the story, but it's very much the story as it really happened, because much of the script was written using transcripts from the interrogations that the students underwent and from the trial. It's also filmed on location. So, for example, you see scenes shot in the Ludwig Maximilian University in Munich, which is the one you'd be visiting if you do decide to go to the museum. It takes you from the opening of the story, which is actually Sophie and a girlfriend, having a very ordinary afternoon together, listening to music, giggling about the fact that Sophie's friend is in love with her brother, and then rushing off in a hurry when Sophie remembers that she's got a meeting. And then you get sucked into the students producing the leaflets, distributing them at the university, being arrested. You see the police interrogations and the trial. You may remember I talked about that in episode 10 of the Munich series. Okay, so, so much for history. Perhaps it's art that you're interested in. And again, there's a good range of materials online that you can use to find out more. I found a general website called Guide to Art Museums in Munich, which was quite good on a brief rundown on the two big art galleries, the Alta Pinacothek and the Neue Pinacothek, and explains the difference between them. So the older one, the Alta Pinacothek, it tells you is about European art movements from the Middle Ages to the 18th century. Gives you a list of painters you can expect to see there. All kinds of well-known people like Botticelli and Titian, Rembrandt, Peter Bruegel. But perhaps more interesting still, the German painters that you can see there. So they would be Dürer, Lukas Kranach and Hans Holbein. And then it goes on to explain that the Neue Pinakothek takes over really in time from the old one and covers art movements from the late 18th century onwards. So that would include the French Impressionists, a whole list of artists you could see, Renoir, Manet, Cézanne, Pissarro, lots more. Although it does say, quote, it's not impressive in terms of numbers of paintings, but it is quite representative of the epoch. But again, perhaps when you're in Munich, you're more interested in German art, and it's quite good on that too, and tells you that you can see paintings from the Romantic era and German realism. So that serves as an introduction. A lot more detailed, a site you could really browse, is a website called Bavarian State Painting Collections. It's actually in German, but you can click on it to show you the English version. The website address is quite clear, as long as you know the word Sammlung, which means collection, S-A-M-M-L-U-N-G. So to find the website, you would go to www.sammlung.de pinacothek.de slash en, the en being the important bit that gives you the English version. The first heading you see says 17 museums, 25,000 paintings, one collection. Because what you're looking at is a website to which all the art galleries in Bavaria have contributed and on which you will find that every single artwork is documented. So there's a photograph of it 
and some basic information. Things like the artist, the date it was painted and critically the place in Bavaria where you can see it. It's a nice website to browse. On the home page you can click on something called Masterpieces of which there are half a dozen. Don't be put off by the fact that this is in German because when you get through to the next layer if you click on one of them, for example Dürer, you will get 20 or so other pictures painted around about the same time. And if you click on each one, you'll get the date, the artist and where you can see it. There's also a section called Categories, where you can click on, for example, Early German Painting, 1300 to 1550, and just get a feel for the various movements and groups of artists represented in the various galleries. On YouTube, I found an interesting series of 25 little one-minute videos produced, in fact, by the museum, the Alte Pinakothek in Munich. It's called Kunstminute. Kunst means art, K-U-N-S-T. Minuta is minute, so an art minute. And if you click on the playlist, you'll find there are 25 of them. The sound is in German, but there are English subtitles. There's a whole range of these videos where curators from the museum have chosen one painting to talk about. So, for example, there's one on Albrecht Dürer and his self-portrait, painted in about 1500. And there's another one, a lovely painting called Girls Under Trees by August Macker, the German expressionist. Gorgeous, bright colours, a real moment of carefree being out and about one summer afternoon. Quite poignant, actually, in current circumstances when these are things it's hard for us to do. And more so when you read in the subtitles that this was one of the last paintings that Macker did before he himself was killed in World War I. And it's described by the last subtitle as, quote, perhaps the last sunny day before the outbreak of war. Another video series which I found on YouTube, which is very useful, is one called the Five Minute Art History Videos. And I found one of those called Blue Rider Group Five Minute Art History Video. If you don't know about the Blue Rider Group, that was a little group of painters who worked mainly in Munich in the decade or so before the First World War. Painters like Vasily Kandinsky, who was in fact Russian but set up in Munich, Franz Marc, Paul Klee, expressionist painters who used very bright colours in unexpected ways. So the Blue Horses, for example, is one of the very famous paintings. And this little video, five minutes long, will give you a definition of expressionism. It sets it in context a little bit, tells you who the main artists were, and shows you 15 or 20 of the best-known paintings. Very interesting in itself, and particularly interesting if you think that when you get to Munich, you might like to go to the museum which is dedicated to the Blue Rider group and their work, which is in something called the Lehnbach House. L-E-N-B-A-C-H, Lehnbach. That's Franz Lehnbach, who was one of the group, whose house this is. It's been turned into a museum since. And you could arrive with quite a lot of background knowledge if you'd watched this video. Alongside it, in the same series, was something called Vasily Kandinsky, six-minute art history video. So homing in on one, perhaps the main one, of the painters in the group. Again, the best thing about it is probably the backdrop, which gives you a dozen or so of his work. But the explanation tells you things like what the influences on him were, what techniques he used, and gives you the context. The fact that he was painting before and during World War I, and right up until 1944, when he died. And then thirdly, the Lehnbach House itself has its own website. I think quite findable if you Google Lehnbach House and Museum website. Sadly, it's all in German, 
but still worth a look, I'd say. If you follow the word entdecken, E-N-T-D-E-C-K-E-N, which means discover, you click on that, scroll past the German text that you'll find and down to the bottom, and there you'll find 40 colour pictures of their paintings. And if you click on any one of them, it turns into a little gallery so that you can then scroll through and see each painting in a bigger format and browse a good selection of them and really get the idea. You can actually click on each painting separately and get text, but that's in German, so probably only any use if you have some German. But definitely worth looking at the pictures anyway. For a completely different idea for something to do when you're in Munich, let's consider the idea of getting out of the city and going to visit some of the fairy tale castles that Ludwig II had built. Something a lot of visitors to Munich do, something that you can do on a coach visit. If you go to the tourist office, you'll find that they run trips in various forms, sometimes to one, sometimes to two or three of the castles. Although, in fact, when I went onto YouTube to have a look, one of the things I found, rather to my surprise, was a really interesting video called How to Get to Neuschwanstein Castle from Munich, Germany. Four minutes, 20 seconds long. And it's interesting to me because when I was in Munich, and I do actually speak German pretty fluently, I did feel a bit flummoxed about the idea of how to get myself to Neuschwanstein on public transport because it didn't look that simple. And this video, if only I'd seen it before I went, would have really helped because it starts at the train station in Munich, shows you where you need to get a train to, which bus you need at the other end when you get there, and how you've got the choice then for the last bit of a 20-minute walk uphill or a shuttle bus. But actually, the reason I would recommend watching it is because it takes you on this journey and you go then from Munich through a lovely snowy landscape with lots of shots to be seen en route, which ends up with a view of the castle from different angles as they approach. And if what you're interested in is the castle when you actually get there, then a YouTube video that I could recommend is one called Neuschwanstein, colon, The Reality of Building Fantasy. Lots and lots of colour pictures, description of the building, but actually also a nice little history of Ludwig II, who was, I think it fair to say, quite a strange man. And also it takes you right inside so you get a close-up look of some of the rooms that he spent so much time designing. And as a last recommendation on Neuschwanstein, again on YouTube, there's one called Neuschwanstein Castle Drone, only two minutes long, but it takes you soaring over and around the castle in all sorts of directions in gorgeous summer weather, and will definitely leave you keen to visit if you haven't been, or enjoying reminiscing if you have. You might remember that in episode five of the Munich series, we did look in quite some detail at Neuschwanstein and the story behind it and at the biography of Ludwig II, and also at a couple of his other castles. I found this to be one of the most fascinating stories connected to Munich, and if you want to know more, then I can recommend reading a biography of Ludwig to really give you a feel for the man behind all of this. There's a good one called The Mad King by Greg King, published in 1997, and another good one I'd recommend, The Swan King, written by Christopher McIntosh published more recently, in fact, in 2019. And just to give you the flavour, let me read a couple of sentences from the blurb on the back of the book. The Swan King is the biography of one of the most enigmatic figures of the 19th century, described by Verlaine as the only true king of his century. Ludwig II of Bavaria was a man of wildly eccentric temperament, touched by a rare imaginative genius.
remembered both for his patronage of Richard Wagner and for the fabulous palaces which he created as part of a dream world to escape the responsibilities of state. And finally, I think we have to talk about food and drink, Bavarian food and drink, some of the best in the world. And I found a YouTube video and a couple of websites which would be very much worth having a look at. So, on YouTube, I would very much recommend something called 24 Hours in Munich, Germany, brackets, Munich Food Tour. And it is indeed by somebody who calls himself Euro Trotter, and he takes you on a wander around Munich in a film which lasts about 15 minutes, showing you where to go, what to eat, what it's like to mix in a noisy German beer house with lots of noisy German drinkers. The film starts at the Viktualienmarkt, which is the food market in the centre of the city. Shows you him going to various stalls and what he buys. Then he goes on a little tour of some of the best shops. He buys some Wurst. He goes to a shop called Schubeck, which seems to be quite well known, famous for things like chocolate and spices. He has lunch outside a pub called Zum Franziskana, indulges in a beer and a pretzel and a dish of regional cream of mushroom soup with chives. Out and about a bit later, we learn about Wurstplatten, so the vast platters of different sorts of sausage that you can order. He tells you all about Weisswurst, white sausage, which is a Munich speciality made from veal. Tells you the story about how in the olden days it was deemed safe only before noon to eat this sausage because it had to be freshly made in pre-refrigeration days. So it would be made in the morning and if you ate it before the church bells struck midday, then that would be fine. After that, bit dodgy. He spends an evening at the Hofbräu house. You get to see it inside, in full swing. Quite a rowdy atmosphere. Has a few contacts with people at his table, advising him what to eat and drink. And you see him enjoying a very Bavarian meal, Schweineshaxe, a huge knuckle of pork, and Kartoffelpüree, a little round ball of mashed potato. So you really do get a feel for what it might be like to be out and about in Munich of an afternoon or of an evening enjoying some Munich Gemütlichkeit, as the Germans call it. A nice, friendly atmosphere. And to finish off, I think you really can't go to Germany in general, and Munich in particular, without indulging in some Kaffee und Kuchen. So I went on a hunt for information that it might be nice to look at in advance of doing that. And I found one quite general website about German cakes, so not specific to Munich, but still very interesting. It's called theculturetrip.com. And the section on it is the best German traditional cakes you need to try. So I think if you type both those things into Google, you'll come across it. And what you'll get then is a list of, I think it's 10 cakes, a description of each one, some very eat me now type pictures, and a bit of an intro generally to German baking. Among the cakes it features are the Schwarzwälder Kirschtorte, the Black Forest Gatto that I think most people are familiar with, and some very typically German cakes. For example, one called Svetschengendatschi. And having just told you I speak German, even I'm having trouble pronouncing that. Actually, the description ends with the sentence, When you find this irresistible cake, just dig into it without wasting time trying to pronounce its name. And before that, you get a description of what it actually is. So a thick sponge cake topped with sliced plums, all baked to a nice sticky gooiness and dusted with icing sugar to finish off. They also feature a cake which is a Bavarian speciality called Prinzregententorte. So the torta means cake and the Prinzregent is the Prince Regent. 
of which Munich did have a very well-known one. So after the death of Ludwig II, about which there's at least a suspicion that he was done away with by people who decided they no longer wanted to be ruled over by somebody who was insane, his brother took over the throne, but his mental health was also very shaky, and the solution that was found was that their uncle, Luitpold, would rule alongside him as a prince regent. And this cake, then, is named after him, described on the website as being, quote, made of seven alternating layers of sponge cake and chocolate buttercream, iced with a thick layer of apricot jam and smothered in dark chocolate. So that's a website that will improve your knowledge of German bakery in general, but specifically about Munich, you could go onto one called www.likealocalguide.com forward slash Munich. And the section you need on that is called Munich's Sweet Side. And that has 10 headings to click on, each one being a place in Munich that you could visit. And it gives you the exact address, it tells you some of the specialities they serve, and generally peps you up for wanting to visit. So, for example, there's a heading which is bound to catch your attention, telling you where to get Schmalznudel, and explaining that Schmalznudel are a kind of large flat donut, fried and then doused in sugar. And there's another one on the Café Luitpold, which is one of Munich's oldest, most traditional cafes. Think upmarket elegance. The sort of place where you might need a pointer as to how to proceed, and this website produces one for you. Quote, rather than having a cake menu, you head to the cake counter, which extends for 10 metres with every sort of cake, strudel, cheesecakes, chocolate torta, fruit tarts, eclairs, and more. And actually, of all the cafes in Munich to try, Prince Regententorte, this would, I think, be number one. Because, of course, its name, the Café Luitpold, is a reference to the Prince Regent himself. So then, that seems a good place to end our whistle-stop tour. I hope I've inspired you, perhaps to visit Munich virtually, perhaps to visit for real. And I'm going to leave it there for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Vielen Dank. And hope that you'll be able to join me again next week when we'll have another one of our City Break Ideas episodes, featuring my ideas and hopefully yours too. So then, thank you and goodbye. Vielen Dank. Auf Wiederhören.